Fantasy Animation is a completely free, online, educational resource dedicated to examining the relationship between fantasy storytelling and the medium of animation. It is staffed by a volunteer army of academics and animators who give up their time to run the website so that our audience can be kept informed not just about the latest goings-on in the world of all things that are drawn, imagined and sculpted, but to help inform them about the historical, political, ethical and aesthetic ramifications of what it means to make an animated fantasy. Check out our weekly blog posts containing insights on everything from the sexual identity of Spongebob Squarepants to how to make an animation on a pair of knickers. You can also access our archive of podcasts featuring Oscar-winning VFX supervisors, historians, classicists, animators and folklorists discussing their favourite examples of fantasy animation. To find out more, visit us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Reddit at FanAnimResearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research, or visit fantasy-animation.org. I hope you enjoy the show. Listeners and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I am and remain in many other universes, Alex Sargent, and I am in this universe, Doctor Strange, Chris Holiday. Doctor Strange, indeed. Um, we were going to do something else today. Uh, we won't tell the listeners what it is because we might do it in a future episode. But ten minutes ago, we decided to jump into the multiverse uh, and embrace a different path for us both and do a film we both have seen recently, uh, the latest instalment in the Marvel Cinematic although now I guess cross-media Yeah, yeah television universe. universe yeah, um, yeah. And in many ways we can uh, reflect on the film Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness as a kind of sequel to our episode we did on WandaVision yep. um, as a way of kind of briefly chatting about Spider-Man No Way Home, which is a film uh, we've both seen but haven't had a chance to chat about on the podcast and just sort of check in on how things are all thing Marvel because we've not done one of these uh, for a while. And you know what? There's a lot to keep up with. So uh, this is our chance to kind of pop in, say hello, and then get back to the cartoons. Yeah. Yes, this is never, or this when we, when we deal with Marvel, it's not. It's never just one film. It's always you get a couple of extras with it. So, yes, you're right. I don't think we can talk about um, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness without gesturing a little bit to back to One Division, which is obviously where this film picks up, uh, which is obviously something we've previously done on the podcast, uh, and in, then equally the, the latest Spider-Man as well, which was originally supposed to come after this film, but due to kind of COVID and delays and so forth, the films were conceived the other way around and there was a bit of frantic re... Yeah, so... But actually, I think the switch works really nicely. um, But it perhaps explains why there's not that much reference to the events of Spider-Man No Way Home in this film, apart from a couple of scenes, because you'd have thought, given what happened in No Way Home and all the villains appearing from different multiverses, that might have become a bigger thing. But that also sets up quite nicely the opening of, of this film, which is, you know, yeah. the multiverse is open and fraction and stuff's coming in. So they kind of so work either way around. I, I think. feel So I feel like we've started as the film does, which is that we've jumped straight into full-on Marvel intense worlds yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of cross, cross-referencing. And, and I can already hear... You know the chunk of our audience who haven't necessarily who might might be Marvel fans but haven't necessarily seen every single uh, latest incarnation. Going, what are you talking about? And and we've spoken on the past of the podcast about this kind of, you know, the increasing demand this cross media universe places on 
um, its audiences to consume its various products, whether it be television shows, this film um, directly references the the, uh, the events in WandaVision and in a much more kind of, I was expecting a much more tangential relationship to WandaVision than we actually got in this movie. So um, yeah, uh, that's interesting. And, and, and there's a tendency to, you know, that, well, there's a, there's a kind of, I don't know, overburdenness to all of this now, which is that the storytelling seems to require you to have seen about eight things previous and to want to see about eight things afterwards. And I'm not going to go down um, a criticism I've, I've 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 made on the podcast before because I just think it's it's getting boring now and I'll try and think of something else to say about this film. But there is a lot of plotting going on uh, in this film, behind the scenes of this film, during this film, about how we connect lots of things together and that desire to connect and to bring together and to and to make everything matter whilst also <clears throat> making it kind of enjoyable, frivolous entertainment is. Uh, is is a thing this film is working through, and I should say on the outset, this is a movie I liked quite a bit, but also thought had some real problems. And I think those are the best kind of movies to talk about in a way, because they're the ones that, through thinking what's good and bad about it, you can often engage yeah. with some of the issues we like to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So we're in technically we're in phase four of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and actually, in 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 the films or on the big screen begins with Black Widow. Which is obviously a, um, a sort of midquel or prequel film, let's say, a film that takes us back in, in time. Then we have two films that didn't, I mean, Shang-Chi and The Legends of the Ten Rings did better than Eternals, but collectively those two, I don't think, perhaps hit the heights. Eternals especially didn't quite hit the heights of, of previous Marvel sure. films. I mean, that's also slightly kind of, <clears throat> I think, simplistic narrative, given that they're also COVID, you know, is the, yes, the that's, big thing that's in between true. all of this. Of, of, are any films going to hit the height of previous ones for a long time since COVID? Yeah. You know. um, but then, then the next three are a sort of essentially what I'm trying to say is is that is that for a long time the the first three phases of the of the MCU were working with pre-existing characters and it was only until let's say so Ant-Man 2015 maybe Guardians of the Galaxy introducing new characters but spending a long time with the characters we already know yeah. some of the things that I think didn't benefit or help Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings or Eternals was that they were introducing almost a, a new roster of characters to kickstart so we kind of had to go back in order to go forward yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home and this Doctor Strange I think reap the benefits of working with pre-existing intellectual property I, we all, we, we, Black Widow worked because we'd had the character over 10-15 years and we'd been able to see the character's evolution let's say yeah. um, Spider-Man No Way Home was it, it was only th four films before we had the other Spider-Man so that's quite they're quite close together which is unusual really Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness brings together a character I feel like I was saying this to somebody this morning that I feel like Doctor Strange has been in loads of films but or I've, I feel like there's there's a Doctor Strange sequel but there isn't there's one Doctor Strange and then the this is the sequel this is the sequel yeah, yeah, but yeah. he crops up as a character in lots and lots of yeah. different different films so this is really I think part of the reason it's you know I enjoyed it it's a Sam Raimi film and we can we can talk about that but I think one of the things that, that it benefits from perhaps as a counterpoint to Shang-Chi and Eternals beyond the COVID sort of syndrome let's say is that we are it, it's working with characters that are familiar and then of course the next film will be Thor Love and Thunder which is again a, a similar you know the third film in the, yeah, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the in the Thor no fourth film of the Thor 
films. So the fourth film of the Thor franchise is a tongue twister. So there's, um, I I just felt like Doctor Strange. It's it's done really really well. I think commercially um, and and critically, it's done it's done well. Made a lot of. It's done okay critically. I think it's done. I think Spider Man No Way Home did a lot better. Yes, I think. I think Shang Chi and the Legend of the Two Ten Rings. Thanks, Chris, for holding your fingers up there. The Ten Rings did all better uh, critically as well. Um, But it's done. It's again. It's sort of. It's where I am with it. Really, is that I think it's a it's a seven out of ten. It's a it's yep. a you know yes, but kind of um, what, well to cite the Marvel televisions. What if what if this is not what if we'd have done our other episode or not this? Who knows? Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. so the film. You're right. So the film is 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 laden with the baggage of other Marvel films as yeah. we've come to expect. Um, but what I liked about I think what I liked about it is that it embraces that head on from the first sequence because the opening sequence. Is a is a, if I remember, it's Doctor Strange with a ponytail, yes. running through a sort of what looks like the quantum realm from the Ant Man movies sure. and of, of Endgame, being chased, kind of yeah. running, <laughs> running with space monster. yeah, a, a demon. Um, this sort of space, they're, they're caught in the space between the universes, and then America Chavez, who is the kind of breakout star, of, yes. or the character, but um, the 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 breakout star of the of the film played um, by Sochiti Gomez who um, kind of begins the film as protagonist and and that's what I really liked about the film the way that it dropped us quite literally in the space between realms in the opening sequence so we're caught in between all these different kinds of characters it's both Doctor Strange but also not quite Doctor Strange so from the off we are dropped right in the what do they call it in media res and they they have a big old fight it's a sort of Bond pre-title sequence Uh, the space slug it's exactly like Bond pre-title sequence there's a sort of space slug monster whatever yep. it is uh, there's some cryptic dialogue about powers and the book of Ashanti the book of Ashanti and you, we can't let them have it and all this sort of stuff yep. and then oh my god it's a dream sequence and our, our real Doctor Strange wakes up um chiselled, bronzed uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in bed in that kind of Hollywood. I'm lying in bed um, with the covers to, just to my waistline, relaxing whilst also looking a little bit forlorn. Um, and we return to the world of kind of Stephen Strange that we left, obviously, at the end of Avengers uh, Infinity War and Endgame, but also, actually, a lot of the characters that we left behind in the 2016 Doctor Strange. So as I say, it is, it is also a sequel to that in that we have Rachel McAdams returning, we have that relationship being yep. re-explored, we have characters from that film returning in various guises. Um, so yes, it's, it's asking a lot of assumed knowledge. Yes. There are waves of knowledge that this film kind of plays with and and, and works with in, in, in yeah. I was yep. going to say interesting ways, and I'm going to say it with a question mark. Interesting ways? Well, the opening, the, from the opening sequence, the film has to do a lot of setting up in terms of uh, a, a sequence that we are led to believe within the film is, is a dream sequence, i.e. Stephen Strange is dreaming about an alternate version of himself and this, and this young girl who he doesn't yet know. Yeah. Then it turns out that these events are actually happening and, and, and the dreaming is part of an access that he has or that we have to multiversal narratives. So actually what happens is is that the activity from the dream sequence, i.e. America Chavez being transported through time and space into a different world, is not Doctor Strange's dream. It's actually happening. They then have a conversation about the events of Spider-Man, which clearly was filmed, as I said, about four months later right. um, and it turns out that this is exactly what's happened that that, that something is that there is witchcraft afoot and the reason that America Chavez I, I mean when I was watching it I was thinking this is a lot like the, the television series Sliders where, oh, oh 
Great reference. So there was a lot of that going on. I, yeah. So if you if you're familiar with sliders, that sort of movement between different spaces and 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 the playing with kind of possible worlds and and, and hypothetical scenarios and and what if and that sort of stuff. But essentially, the activities that Doctor Strange is dreaming about with regards to him and this yeah. this character America being chased by a, a, a sort of demon, yeah, octopus type thing, is actually what's happening in another world. And ultimately, this character America Chavez lands in the world of, of yes uh, Earth six one six, which is our Earth. Yeah. Our space. Of course, this is, these kinds of narratives have already been hinted at with uh, the previous Spider-Man movie, the the um, Far From Home, where Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, tries to kind of use yeah. the fact that the multiverse exists to pretend that he's from another time and space yeah. when actually he's not. And then, of course, Loki as well kind yep. of engages with this in the TV yeah, yep. show. First, first, like first scene of Loki is is the scene from from Endgame, which is what would happen if he yeah. went off. And so, I think we talked about this when we did One Division before that obviously the idea of complex and complicated narratives are perhaps up for debate. But Marvel, as a as a as a studio, are getting increasingly interested in iterative storytelling and and multiverse. The multiverse is a space which I think bleeds out into other yeah. IP heavy films like your Wreck It Ralphs and your and your free guys and your let's get all the Lego movies where you, let's get all these intellectual products in and let's have a play with them yeah so I think the word play is interesting there because play is uh, is has two connotations that I think are part of the way of trying to fathom one's response to this movie on the one hand play is deliberately frivolous uh, or frivolous as I should as I would say if I was saying the word correctly <laughs> Um, Were you trying to say frivolous? Frivolous. Okay. Yeah. Just, just. We'll edit this. We'll keep this in. We'll keep this in. Oh, of God. all the char- of all the character names that you haven't got, yeah. frivolous. I, w- I wasn't on my bingo card. So anyway. Okay. Play so I can't frivol- speak, but play is, is 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 trivial. It's it's meant to be whimsical. It's meant to be not taken seriously. That's its greatest virtue, and that's why it has a therapeutic dimension, and that's why it can help us understand things that other forms of of meaning making can't. You just described animation. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's important that we think of this as playful because it does it does want us to have fun. Yes. With the bringing together yes. of all these IPs across these multi universes, but then play also is rarely unstructured and is very difficult to pull off unstructured. So play demands a level of rules alongside its frivolity. Um, you know, from right back to say, you know, when when therapists use play, they they construct structures by which their 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 patients play with um the thing the most famous one being the squiggle game right the squiggle yep. game um dw winnicott sort of uh, uh therapeutic device where one draw the, the therapist draws a squiggle on the on the piece of paper it passes it to the patient and the patient turns it into a drawing of something so there needs to be a level of order and rules to allow the player to play and I think that's where I'm struggling with this, in that I think there's a lot of fun that one can... I'm not quite sure if the film's having too much fun or not enough fun in this bringing together of worlds, because I did find myself throughout the whole thing trying to work out the rules and stakes of this yep. multiverse that we're being asked to invest in. Because if I'm yep. going to have to care about characters that live across these multiverses... Yep and care about a story that's taking a place across these multiverses. And I'm not just talking about the story of this movie, I'm talking about the story of phase, whatever this is, what did you say it is for, of, of uh, Marvel now? Yep. The story of phase four, then I need to have some sense of, of what matters and what doesn't matter within mm-hmm. within this structure. And I found myself, you know, I found myself struggling with some of the cronky scientific sci-fi, you know, explanations, dreams are a window to, other worlds, fine, I sort of go with that. 
but then there's also a bit where like the where um, America Chavez, who's her her superpower is that she is the only being it would seem in the in the entire multiverse that can choose to travel across it physically. So she doesn't have lots of different counterparts. There isn't another America Chavez in different multiverse. Yeah, there's yeah. one America Chavez, and she can leap. Uh, slider-like from universe to universe as she chooses. And then there's a line of dialogue where she, he says, uh, Doctor Strange says, how many of these have you been to? And she says, like, 73. And he goes, God, that's a lot. And I'm thinking, isn't, isn't that not a lot? Isn't that actually a very small number? There are almost <laughs> as many Marvel films. <laughs> like, like, you know, exactly. Like 73 seems... T- in, like the whole point of multiverse theory, isn't it, is that it's like kind of an infinite number of all possibilities all engaging with it. Yeah. And so to have that as the kind of bewildering spectrum of narrative possibility is a jar with these attempts to kind of marry the multiverses together. So, for example, there seems to be a Thanos across every multiverse, and there seems to be an engagement with Thanos at multiverses. You know, Doctor Strange seems to have a series of character traits that are important in every multiverse that that, that allow these, you know, these characters can't be fundamentally different human beings in different multiverses. In, in a way, the line of dialogue felt like quite metaphorical, because essentially... I, I can care about 73 multiverses if you invest enough narrative energy. I can't really care about an infinite number, which is yeah. what would actually need to be for there to be this kind of... I mean, there's one multiverse they go into very briefly where they're made of paint, for example, you know? Yeah. But that's kind of the throwaway gag bit of the of the storytelling. Because yeah. actually, thinking about it, Doctor Strange's role, from what you were saying, his role in Endgame or... No, is it Endgame? Yes, Endgame. Well, actually both, I suppose, um, Infinity um, War and Endgame, is to sort of rattle through the different possibilities. And it and ultimately turns out that the, that the future that he's foreseen is the one where Tony Stark has to, has to die. Yes. So there are so many possibilities that the film doesn't bother to show us them. But with the 73, that's this manageable amount, that gives scope for the, for the filmmakers, for, for Sam Raimi and the thousands of visual effects artists to kind of play. So there's, a, there's a, essentially... There is a brief moment when, when, when we find out that Doctor Strange is is iterative, but America Chavez is not, and America Chavez's power is to move between different um, multiverses, and it's exactly that reason why it's Wanda who is conjuring these monsters in order to to be reunited with her kind of fictional children that she created during the events of WandaVision. She wants to harness the power to move between different spaces to, to sort of yeah to reach her her children. Um, there is a sequence where. Doctor Strange and America Chavez get thrown between different multiverses and it's this kind of fragmentary strange sequence that runs through very very quickly different spaces different design styles yeah. different animation styles and ultimately I think the worlds that they settle on are some bizarre what would happen if people crossed the road when it was red rather than green yes and just I, they really didn't make the most of well, the well this is my point yeah. about like structure versus you know fun like you, you you can't you can't go too far you know the the point of the squiggle game isn't to give someone a blank piece of paper because that doesn't achieve anything you play with structure you play you bend you alter you change yeah. but you don't you don't fathom anew and I think that's the, that's the difficulty of this kind of storytelling. When you've got, I mean, there's a bit at the beginning of the movie where Wanda is first introduced, where we see her walking through this kind of apple orchard, yes, or this blossoming yeah, apple yeah. orchard, and then very quickly the, it's revealed that she's conjured all of this, and actually it doesn't look like that at all. So we 
we've already got a character that can manipulate space. You've got another character that can manipulate space and go through all these portals into, you know, they can jump off a building and go and land on the sidewalk. So even within the realm that is set up as the diegesis of the last six to 600 Marvel movies we're supposed to have seen. Yep. There is a lot of play with space and time. Now we're also playing with, with multiple dimensions. Need, how does, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, because I thought this film did actually quite an interesting job at finding some emotional stakes and some sort of way of me caring about any of this stuff. But there is a massive tightrope to walk down here. And I think the, the solution is to somehow contain it to 73. Um, you know, again, speaking kind of figuratively, because, because this horizon of possibility of storytelling can very quickly become very weightless, both literally um, in terms of the use of CGI and also kind of, you know, just in terms yeah, of that's interesting. The, weightless. The, the narrative stakes here. We've talked about this a bit before, so I don't want to kind of dwell on the point, but I thought it was a good example and occasionally a bad example of how to, how to do that with such a broad canvas to play with and how to inject rules that can then be played with. Um, well, I, but I feel like when you talk about emotion, it, that, that's obviously what a lot of the critics are saying with regards to, to I mean, they're, they're, you know, critics are critics, but fine. I, I'm, I think they're obviously pr um, praising Sam Raimi's contribution because the film lapses into, kind of leans into his tradition in horror sure. um, to good effect, I think, though I will out myself this, I don't think I've seen, oh no, I think I must have seen one of the original Spider-Mans. There we go. I've the seen Maguire's. Yeah, um, I'm, I haven't seen much of Sam Raimi's right. work, admittedly. So there's a lot of stuff written about his directorial. Yeah, actually, and I think just to very to pause on that, having having seen quite a lot of Raimi's movies, like actually the things that people are dwelling on are the, are the kind of lazy bits of auteur criticism I often find, which are like you know there's a there's a there's a doomed book in the movie. There's a bit where characters get possessed. Mm -hmm. There's bits where hands come out of floors, and it all gets a bit Evil Dead. But actually, I would say. Um, there's lots of stylistic ticks that are very right, Sam Raimi. Right. The use of handheld cameras and characters sort of wrestling with cameras and cameras becoming like active agents in the scene. That's a very Raimi-esque move. Right. Um, and also, actually, I'd say it has some of the the very effective melodrama of the first two Spider-Mans in in the relationship between. Um, Strange and, and Rachel McAdams character um, whose name escapes me momentarily um, Christine uh, Christine Palmer um, I thought that was well played I, I mean not a huge amount to do with it but they do quite well yeah. with it and I, and I think Wanda is, is actually the, the, the absolute star of the movie so that right? was my that was my my point was going to be that the thing about emotional in, in a film that has the potential to be quite weightless that it's yeah. it's clearly given over to Wanda that Wanda's going to be the sort of centre of this multiversal arrangement. And that's where this kind of connection with other movies being important actually feels earned and, and satisfying. Mm -hmm. It's you yeah. know, it's not this kind of gag, hey, you've seen that character in another thing, here they is in this. Wanda's complexity as a character requires your it's what it's a few examples. I can't. I'm struggling to think of another one where a villain. She's the villain of this piece. You know, she starts as the villain. She's she's a, she's a mustache twirling villain in this movie. But the complexity to her character is because we've seen how she became this villain over quite a lot of films and quite a lot of episodes mm -hmm. uh, of television. So. The, I, I'm struggling to think of another example of a villain in a f film like this, which. We, is almost given the same kind of 
complex narrative arc that that the heroes of these pieces are normally afforded mm. to. People talk about Marvel's problems with villains. One of the main structural problems with Marvel's villains is that a villain has to be vanquished at the end of a film uh, and can only really be, you know, basically it's a villain of the piece structure, isn't it? Yeah. So the heroes are allowed stories that go over different movies and can build and, and crescendo and all this sort of stuff. But a villain just as a narrative device has to be vanquished and defeated. So you either get like a, you know... Um, also the Bond films and the and the way that Bond, yes. Bond girls work. So that that sort of... Yes, the only difference is that Bond until recently has had, had absolutely no character development and that's... Well, that's also that's true. That's absolutely fine. The, but, kind, of, <laughs> the kind of, yeah, yeah. The, the, the running time... The, 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 the mission will last as long as the running time or the villain's yeah. plan will last as long as the running yeah. time and they won't recur yes. in the same way. So how, so how do you create a villain that... Um, that can last and, and, and has... And I guess the only other way they've done it is with Loki, but Loki's just yeah. lo slowly become an anti-hero rather than a villain. Yeah, Here I, I, we get a, yeah. a, a hero, and let's be honest, quite a boring hero in the first few incarnations of the Wanda character who has slowly become more and more interesting the more her character has developed and, mm. and become more villainous. And yeah. now we get this really hyperbolic villain that's essentially a sort of demon priestess but actually, there's so much ambiguity and weight and and um, ways of identifying with the Scarlet Witch because of what we've seen, how we've seen her become this character. Um, mm. I thought it was really successful. I thought that was really quite interesting. Yeah. And when she yeah. bites the dust at the end, spoilers alert. I mean, she gets her plan doesn't come to fruition, and she doesn't uh, destroy the multiverse. Um, you, you still feel for her, even though you are completely at peace with that is the way the story has to end. So mm. I thought that was that was that was well achieved. That's really interesting. The sort of I'm just trying to think of the breakout, you know, this idea of Loki and WandaVision sharing that they've they, they've been given the time and space and the narratives to to have that. I suppose a similar uh, not the same but slightly different maybe is the Winter Soldier who's gone through that kind of recuperative process and it's yeah. perhaps no surprise that Wanda Loki and the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, have sort of, I wouldn't say become breakout stars, but they're just, they're interesting, they're more interesting characters. It, by the end of WandaVision, which is, as we've talked about, is this, essentially this extended moment of grief, trauma, catharsis, she's working through what is grief, if not love, persevering. You know, that she's trying to work through her yeah. relationship to her husband and conjuring this whole place, um, the townsfolk, Westview, and conjuring um, her children too. By the end of the final episode, she's kind of, she's freed the people that she had under her control. Yeah. Westview has sort of dissipated. She's, she's let go of her husband and her children, so Billy and Tommy. So and then and then you get the post credit sequence I think of the or towards the end of 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 WandaVision where she's studying the dark hold and this film sort of runs with that so you're right she's only allowed and that's I, I wanted more of her and her kind of verbal sparring with Doctor Strange before it was given away too soon that she's the villain I, I because it is given away he goes to visit her because yeah. he realises that actually the, the reason that these monsters are entering from the multiverse is because of, of witchcraft he goes to see the only witch he knows um, which is Wanda yeah. and it turns out that Wanda's the one that's conjuring these monsters because she wants to capture this 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 girl uh, America this, this multiversal uh, space and time hopper yeah. but that was given away quite quickly and she very quickly becomes the villain and the, and the whole, as you say, the orchard falls away just like Westview did mm. uh, and you realise that, yeah, Wanda is, as you say, the the 
fully embedded in the Darkhold. Yes. Well, uh, see, I I liked that they did that because. Oh, what? Well, get to it quickly. Get to her. Because as I the wanted villain. two and a, two and a bit hours of her being villainous. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um. Okay. And I think what it does in terms of the complexity of your allegiance with that character is that it asks this. I've been thinking quite a bit about the sort of the, the super in the supervillain and what the super is doing in supervillain. Um, and to me, it seems like one of the ways of thinking about it might be that a villain is a, a character who we might encounter in life and therefore is uh, capable of redemption and change and, and, and uh, good characteristics. And we're all capable of being villains. Uh, depending yes, on, we are, Alex. <laughs> depending on what role we're playing in any one, what some, your life or anyone else's life. But a supervillain is is kind of villainous incarnate and has this kind of structure of like they're ir- irredeemably bad. They have wicked intentions and wicked aims, um, and they'll get their comeuppance. And there's a kind of you know melodramatic catharsis in yep. watching evil in a you know in the kind of banal sense of the word play out. And I think what was interesting with Wanda is she becomes a supervillain. You know, there is a moment, but and I, and I was watching it, thinking, what are they? Uh, is this the end of this character, or are they going to do that thing? And they they do hint at it at various points because the the plot point they do establish is that there's this dark hold, which is this kind of cursed book, and those that use it get kind of almost like the ring from Lord of the Rings get kind of consumed by its corruptive power. And you know there are there are elements of possession going on in the movie. Wanda literally possesses other versions of Wanda, but there is a huge kind of sense that she is being possessed by. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah by the Darkhold, and there is a bit where another character goes into Wanda's mind. So I'm going to have to just reveal, because we're not speaking cryptically. They go to a multiverse, and lots of other old IPs are there. So there's, we get Professor X in the movie. And Professor X goes, uses his Professor X powers from the X-Men movies and goes into Wanda's mind. And there's this kind of weird sequence yes, yes. where he finds Wanda buried in Wanda's mind. And I genuinely think you can, if you pause and think about that sequence... That, so she goes into Wanda and finds Wanda's Wanda in Wanda's mind. Which Wanda is that? Is that Wanda, the character who we saw in WandaVision and Avengers Endgame, buried in her grief, her trauma, her And enveloped by the Dark And enveloped by the yeah, Dark Lord. Yeah. Or is this the possessed Wanda from this other world who's been possessed by the villainous Wanda? People really need to have seen this movie to understand what I'm talking yeah. about. But I hope, do you understand? Like, there's an ambiguity in that moment. Is to are we asking? Are, is Professor Xavier trying to save Wanda from herself? Yes. Or is he trying to save Wanda from the other Wanda? I took it as to be the former that he was just entering her mind to see if the the true Wanda was still there. Yes. Um, but the way that that the way that 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 Wanda is being trapped under kind of like and there's the tv there right there's yeah. the tv of one of like the, the old sitcoms plan which i think is an allusion to that character so i that's how i read it too so that means that e- even in this supervillain, there is the old character that we know in there yes and i think that's very interesting because then it's like i was like are they going to do the thing where she like they destroy the dark lord what is it called dark the, hold. Da- the dark hold and she suddenly goes, oh my God, what have I been doing? Yeah, and yeah. they all hug her and go, don't worry about the masses of people you've slaughtered. Uh, we'll just deal with that in the next movie. Yes. Or are they going to go, no, some acts, no matter what reason you do it, and no matter how justifiable your rage and your sympathy and things, cannot be forgiven. And 
you've tripped mm. into supervillainy and therefore you need to be treated like a supervillain. And I think the way it, mm. it, it actually kind of goes to the latter and says, no, 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 uh, yes, we can sympathize with how she got there. Yes, we can sympathize with her pain. Yes, we can sympathize like we can with all human beings that commit atrocities with the human things that made us do it. But at a certain point when you commit acts like that, that is, you have crossed you have crossed into a into a sort of aberration of the moral structure, and you need and and there is no amount of atonement that can be atoned. And I thought the way it dealt with that was just really interesting. Mm. It's made me. I'm still thinking about it. And unless, as part of her sacrifice at the end, there's a sort of acknowledgement that that version, because the other versions of Wanda that she inhabits, um, and she has a confrontation with yes. one of them, and, yeah, and possesses one of them, and then one of them says about the children that they will be loved, and that's what cues her sort of self-sacrifice. So. That, this goes back to what I've, I know that you've talked about in relation to um, the idea of inconsequential actions, that actually this version of Wanda's died, but there's another one somewhere that may or may not even... So it doesn't, it doesn't matter that, that this one is buried within the mind. But th there are other multiverses where other Wanda's exist, so actually well, the character is, is yeah. ready there to be plucked for a future film should she... Yeah, that, that's true on an IP level. And yes. They've done that with other movie, with other characters from different times and different space have replaced the old characters, and I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure they've got that in their back pocket. So that's a little bit, I don't know. But I just think on an ethical... As a series of ethical questions, I think that is interesting because actually... You know, if you want to apply this to real life, there is a version of the multiverse where Stalin is a perfectly heroic individual. There's a there's a version of the multiverse where I am dashing and charming and and fun to be around. We're in it. Yeah, um, but you know, like like there are versions. There are multiple versions of all of us, um, and there are multiple versions of the things we do. And uh, what this film seems to suggest is that all the characters are the same. Yeah. You know, they are still Wanda. They are still Doctor Strange. There is there the characters are still the same. It's the things they do with the with the things they wrestle with. E you know, each uh, you know again, it sounds like I'm um, I'm writing a birthday card here or or a, or a poem to be read out at some civic event. But like, there is good and bad within all of us, and it's about if one chooses to express the good or the bad, or one manages to express the good or the bad. Yes. And this version of Wanda, no matter how redeemable some of her characteristics, is irredeemable. I thought that's an interesting moral point yeah. to make. And that, but for me, the difference is between grief and anger, that she resolves her grief in WandaVision, but she's still angry. And this, this film is really about her is really about her anger, and I and I've been interested in in yeah, that's uh, true. She does it doesn't seem fair, is what she's is the yeah, line, and she it? says yeah, she says to, to Doctor Strange that you you know the things that you do make you a hero. I do the same things, and I'm a villain. Yeah. So she's reconciled her grief, but not her anger. And so I'm really interested in in um, this is going to sound odd, but I'm interested in Hollywood's kind of angry women. Um, okay. And what I see as a post 2016 phenomenon, essentially, the moment where. So I think during the yeah, final presidential um, election debate, October 2016, Hillary Clinton is advocating for improved social security, increased taxes on the wealthy. Donald J. Trump stands up and calls her a nasty woman. And I think that verbal attack, that sort of meme, that memeified moment of, of sort of jousting between these two um, candidates prompted, yes, okay, on the one hand, widespread derision. It became this sort of... Um, 
hashtag the rise of the nasty woman, um, a rallying cry on social media, um, the reclaiming of the term as well through the nasty woman movement and and sort of um, affiliated art exhibitions and and there's a book as well the um, yeah a nasty woman book the nasty women project voices from the resistance so kind of the struggle for for um, or against patriarchal misogyny in Hollywood I see that being reflected in kind of two strands of movies one I think is the sort of um, what has been what um, Laura Matindamore calls the female or the vigilante feminist movie. So atomic, you know, brilliant movie, atomic blonde um, with Charlize Theron, who makes a cameo at the end of this film as well. Uh, Peppermint with uh, Jennifer Garner, uh, Anna, Miss Barla, Ava, Kate. Often films about women who are on a rampage, on a revenge mission. Um, this idea of kind of the lone woman cinema, it's been termed, you know, the lone woman cinema on this path for, for justice to work through trauma, trauma and so forth. I suppose an iteration of this is is uh, Black Widow. I think Black Widow has t- touches of that and the film has been interpreted as a sort of response to the Weinstein era and, and Me Too and so forth. But technologically mediated female unruliness. So Wonder Woman, uh, Dark Phoenix from the X-Men films, and Captain Marvel, I would say, the sort of way in which an unruly femininity is articulated through digital technology and, yeah, the kind of framing or the way that Hollywood has increasingly explored gender politics or unruly gender politics through uh, that, that is linked to, to female control, responses to toxic masculinity and so forth. There's a way in which I think Wanda fits as a character within, you know, her first appearance is 2016. Um, yeah. And she's, I think she's part of this. What do we do? What, what can we do with Unruly Woman? What should we do with Unruly Woman? In a genre dominated by white men, there is something about the female, the female superhero and, 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 and how this film tries to process. And, and again, the criticisms of the film is that it, it demonizes Wanda. All she is is angry at being called a nasty woman. Yeah. And she's demonised. Well, yeah. So there's, I'm just there's, so there's a sort of gendered to, element to this, I which I think is interesting. I have a two-prong response to that, and then I want to also talk go back to Trump in a second. But yeah. The two-prong um, response would be one: I probably would agree that if you watch this movie and just this movie, the character is relatively one-dimensional, and so I think that is my point about you can't have it both ways, right? Some films, some of these films. You know, we can criticise the films for requiring us to bring a lot of baggage to them, but by requiring us to bring a lot of baggage to them, we shouldn't criticise them as if they don't require us to bring a lot of baggage They're to them. They're made in that way, yeah, yes. So, so I think the character is meant to be read alongside her backstory that you have already seen. Yes. So I think on one level I would disagree with that because I think there is there is far more to that character once you bring the baggage of, of who she is and what you know about her to, to, to her unruliness in this story. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say is that actually you're, you're, that, that, that there is a problem, well, there is a wider problem perhaps with Marvel, which is that um, I'm now thinking of, I, th- I think the character the, the character's gone down quite well this, this, I, in a similar way that I'm saying that I think this is a good villain. I think this is an interesting villain. Yeah. And it does strike me that the other examples you gave there, particularly Captain Marvel, um, was received within fan discourses almost as exactly what you're saying, this unruly woman, because, because she's too powerful. She's too technologically superior. She's this sort of, you know... It's a woke, I use quotation marks, superhero because she's really powerful. She can shoot lasers out of her eyes. She can fly into the stratosphere. And she also happens to be a woman whilst doing it, right? In the way that if Captain Marvel jumps off a plane and flies down on his... You know, all that kind of stuff, that seems to be 
part of what being a man in this universe oh, looks yeah, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, or, or if mm. Tony Stark flies into the stratosphere, reinvents a, a time-travelling device just off the, off the cuff with a pin and a... You know, all these things that they shouldn't really be able to do. That level of unruliness is, is cool, but if, if Captain Marvel does it, it's woke. And I would say that's because it's a woman. We could also compare yeah. this to Rey in the Star, Star yeah, Wars, yeah, where yeah. Rey is criticised for being too good at too good at being a Jedi because yes. she learns it too quickly. Um, so it would seem that the only time powerful women are allowed within certain sections, and I would stress certain, obviously, sections of fan discourse, is if they are unruly in the proper sense of the word, which, well, in the, in the kind of villainous sense of the word. And it also remind me, the, the, another example that's often heralded amongst Marvel fans as being a good villain within the franchise is... is um, Kate Blanchett's character in uh, oh yeah in, Hella yeah in, Hella in Ragnarok yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another another unruly yeah t- yeah M- much more in the Scarlet Witch line of of the, yes. you know enjoying her badness um, it would seem that that kind of unruliness is okay because it's ultimately bad yes villainous women being unruly is is acceptable yeah but good women being technologically and and magically unruly yeah 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 is 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 too is too woke. Yes, um, I think, I mean, yeah, there are other, again, I was inadvertently preparing for this podcast without knowing I was preparing for this podcast, (laughs) having a conversation this morning with... um, Well, you prepare for this podcast? Yeah, well, all I did was learn how to say frivolous. Um, (laughs) I had a conversation this morning with a a, a PhD student who is working within Marvel, and there's lots of amazing work coming out on on Marvel. Miriam Kent has a book on Marvel um, cinema and and, and gender, which is is fab and, and... um, people should read. Uh, this PhD candidate is is thinking about um, is thinking about the Marvel films, and we were talking about about Brie Larson as a as a star. And actually, there's a, a sort of another level to this in terms of Brie Larson's online persona, her relationship to kind of feminism, to the fact that she was called out for not smiling enough, and so she photoshopped smiles onto all of the male superheroes within the Marvel thing, and it kind of looks ludicrous. And she's like, "Well, exactly." So she, I, I, I think part of the backlash is because a lot of film critics are middle-aged white men going, I just can't believe that, you know, turning red isn't for me, or I can't believe that um, Captain Marvel is not a film that I would... Well, no, because it's not for you. It's not It's not for you. Yeah, I, I also think that, like, I also, I, I think I want to say that to people like that quite often. But I also think, no, actually, screw that. It's for me. Like, I like that movie. I can... It's just, just being just an idiot. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too. Yeah, that, that's the... Yes, that's it's not the film isn't for you. It's that you lack any imaginative ability to imagine yeah. someone that isn't, you know, outside traditional gender paradigms. Like, you know... Well, no, I, I feel like the multiverse is an interesting way of playing with fan expectation or at least going, we're giving you what you want and then pulling back by revealing it's only multiversal or this is what we want from a film. We'll pop it. So I always thought that's interesting that, that nar- complex narratives are often, that Hollywood's turn to puzzle films and complex narratives are often correlative to the rise of the internet and and YouTube and fat. This is what we could have done and this is this is what we want from a new film. And, this is, and we get this in multiverse. We get John Krasinski playing um, kind of Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. On the back of online, he should be Mr. John Krasinski should be Mr. Fantastic. So they give us that as a little teaser and then kind of play with that in the same scene as we meet um, Professor X. So I think multiversal and complex narratives are often a symptom or often an interesting way that filmmakers and storytellers can play with giving a little taster of what what could have been for you or, or paying lip service to fan demand for something and then taking it away and playing with ideas of the canon and stuff like that. Um, 
But yeah, I thought that was what this film was doing. It was giving us sort of what if Maria Rambo was Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel was black? Um, yeah. What would happen if um, John Krasinski was Reed Richards? Sure. What would happen? See, that's when I'm like, oh, I really don't care. Because then, <laughs> because then it's like, fine, but actually what you're saying, it, this is where play can be dangerous, right? Is that play can also make things frivolous that shouldn't be frivolous. And, you know, it's, it's you know, what if we made Captain Marvel a black woman? We'll do it. Do it, well, and yeah. I'll tell you. But making her uh, not making her make, a making disposable hero who is black and then is, killing her is and paying lip service without yep. having to do anything with yep. it is is where things get problematic, yep. right? You know, and and you know you, that can be as irking as something like that, or as superficial as okay. But is John Krasinski going to be Mister Fantastic, or is that it? You know, yes. great that Doctor uh, Doctor X is back. Not that important when he's only in it for two minutes. Like, why does that character need to be in there? They don't. Yeah. So that's where I think play the playfulness of the movie does mm. kind of start to irk at me because I'm like, okay, you know, a oh, great. It's um, it's Haley At- um, Atwell being what, what I, I know from What If. I didn't see What If, but she's yeah. being Captain Britain or whatever she's called in in uh, what she called. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I just, just, I, I just like the idea. Ms. UK, that sounds much worse. Uh, I just, no, I just really like the idea of um, um, the the our pared down version of Captain America. Um, so yes, she is uh, Captain Carter. Cap- oh, she's just called Captain. She's Carter, just called right? Captain. Because any Carter. other name would be absurd. Exactly. Captain Brexit. Yeah. Um, exactly. uh, yeah um, okay. Uh, well, yes, fine. Running around doing that, but it's again, it's okay, great, but not actually, not actually important in the. It's not even important in the story, let alone it being important anything beyond that you know the, the story itself trivializes it so that's where i kind of mm, le- less interested in that um less less useful yeah um we should talk about i guess we should talk about the steve the film is called i was going i, was I, th- going I think to- it, you're, it, we could call it wanda maximoff in the multiverse of madness uh, and that would be just as good a title for the movie except that people wouldn't see it because you know people would be put off by it but we will t- i think we should probably talk about because that some of these issues do come up again with doctor strange in that he's also a character that is is again sort of dealing with trauma uh, a kind of grief for a life not lived um, the repercussions of what his life in other multiverses might look like. Um, do you have anything you want to talk about in terms of... Um... Yes, well, I, I suppose I liked the way that the film... The, the last few films with Stephen Strange, um, he he's often cast as the kind of... Well, he's now taken over, really, from Tony Stark as... as Spider-Man's mentor. That's the implication from No Way Home that right. he is he is the mentor. He's sort of taking that role. So I think what this this film was at least trying to give him, as I said, a bit more. It's it's trying to it's trying to re- remind us that that there was stuff going on before all of these ensemble films, and the film is trying to rem- yeah, it's trying to remind us that look, you've seen this character appear multiple times over the last five or six years, but actually going back to the first Doctor Strange he had that really close relationship with Rachel McAdams and he was this guy before he was a superhero and as you said this life not lived and through the multiverse he gets to meet alternate versions of, of Christine and, and basically says I love you in in every multiverse I love you in every yeah, universe yeah so I quite like that line they like, I'm a bit of a sucker for a line like that well, I, think they, I do like it same with WandaVisions yeah. as I said the um, what is grief if not love person they have this line and I think they just write the series around that yeah, but yeah, I love yeah. you in every in yeah. every universe so yeah. there's a sort of yeah, I mean, it's it's I I didn't mind his character progression. I like the fact that it was more of a direct sequel. It it sort of tried to not yeah acknowledge the other films in which he's only 
kind of performed cameos. It was more of a direct sequel. So I think you do need to rewatch Doctor Strange to kind of get a sense of where the character's going. And, but, and he's dealing with his own grief, as you said. The only thing to add to that that struck me was that if we're talking about Wanda being this kind of, you know, the Wanda that we end up getting is a Wanda, you're right, the film kind of says this version of one that you, you know, it's almost like, the, it's almost like the MCU backed the wrong horse to use a terrible analogy, but it's like, you know, this Wanda ultimately became a supervillain. Other Wanda's didn't fall down that path. And the way it uses Wanda's from a different universe, these are the characters that managed to, to hold back the rage or were dealt a slightly more lucky set of events that meant the rage and the, the grief never had to be reckoned with but mm. it, they're all there in the same character the flip side of that is strange in that the film posits this strange as a more heroic version than in other universes for exactly the same reasons he meet well he comes across the memory of one other strange who is nearly struck responsible for the destruction of one universe um, and is ultimately killed as a result of it and then another strange who has gone down a similar path um, elsewhere so I just think that that again these kind of ethical questions about um, goodness, badness, psychology, and and action are, are complemented by that those two characters in dialogue and the way. And I thought that was quite successful. Um, the bit towards the end where he possesses a the dead corpse. strange, yeah, yeah, and suddenly I didn't. And that's when I, I was like, I, I feel like I feel like I lost a reel there in the sense that what does he suddenly develops the way he defeats Wanda is he develops the ability to control the cursed. The damned, is that right? There's this line where he says, I'm going to now possess a, a dead body of mine in another universe. I need you to keep an eye on this body while I'm possessing them because they might attack it. And Rachel Ryan says, like, who? And he says, the, the the spirits of the damned. And that's supposed to somehow explain what then happens for so 20 minutes. So he, he essentially possesses the version of himself that we see in the opening sequence who was killed yes. by that... Opera. No, I understood that. Yeah, but what's all the... With all the... Suddenly there's... Of course, one of the established world's rules of this universe as long and as many others is that if you possess the body of the dam, weird goblins will arise from the dead and try and... Uh, where, where's that bit coming from? So the from? book so the book of Vishanti, which is the sort of opposing force to the dark hole, the book yes. of Vishanti, is this thing that allows you... Um, from what I understand, you can you can use or dream walk into the court... Well, as long as there's a Doctor Strange in a particular universe, you can dream walk into a version so he can dream walk into a version of himself uh -huh. from a remote place so he's puppeteering himself yes no this um, this I understand but that's 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 as far I think the, that's the all bit you need. Where, where okay but, and by doing that he summons up the, the, the cursed oh, souls of the, the dead sweet, the dementors yeah the dementors yeah he is able to summon up dementors and then control the dementors to attack WandaVision well, not, that's not her name, Wanda. Um, uh, uh, that bit, I'm like, sorry, what? Let's introduce, let's introduce, let's introduce the afterlife into this. Why not? You know, we've yes. already had. It's already been sliders. Now it's Paradise Lost. Um. Yes, no, there are. It, it is very, and, and maybe that's it, it. Sort of goes a little bit too far. And then we, and I think, yeah, I think you're right that this relationship between rules and. And the trivial, the triviality of play versus the rule-based logic of of play. And I remember Paul Wells talking about this when we did Space Jam. The kind of you know you have the game, yeah. You have the rules and the play. And there's there are lots of different when you introduce the multiverse, you sort of you sort of destabilize the structures of of play. But ultimately, I don't think it's 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 well, it's inconsequential because 
it just it just is <laughs> just that's the way that Marvel wants to kind of play. It will choose based on the success of this film which character to pursue to get who will get the spin off, who won't get the spin off, um, and so these are all. These sort of almost have the in the same way like Pixar's animated shorts were just testing grounds for new technology and filmmakers. Now you get feature films, which are really which one's going to be the standout character, which one is going to sustain a story, which one do we want the sequel of? Loki was announced recently; it's the most streamed Marvel television series on Disney Plus, and it's the only one with a with a sequel. It will get the sequel that yeah. the, the, the the fans want. So Marvel's in obviously a very tricky industrial position because of the, the way it works with um, uh, different kinds of television programs the way that it worked previously with with programs that were outside of those canonical marvel mcu yeah. ones that I mean, it's, it's not that tricky of industrial position it seems to be releasing three or four feature well, that, films yes, a year that, that's, and, and television shows and they are being watched by lots of people they are being yeah. watched I, I, it's it's sort of i only i don't really collect any sort of physical media apart from the marvel films just because i just i just find them interesting to to, to have but I'm surprised. Am I surprised that they're still going? I don't know. There's lots of material. I don't know much about the comics. I always come to the films fresh because that's that's as much as time as I can devote sure. to these things. But it's as I said at the start, it's never just with Doctor Strange. In this one in particular, it's never just the one film. You need to sort of... I remember a lot was going around before this film was released. If you're going to make sense of it, these are like the four films and the, you need to watch these four films and you need to watch WandaVision. And that'll equip you with the tools to kind of decode sure. and understand and... Um, yeah, to kind of navigate your way through this transmedia jungle that is is going to be this film. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy I, I enjoyed it for the time I was watching it. I didn't quite understand some of it. Couldn't remember, can't really remember how it ends. Really, I'd forgotten about how Wanda sort of sacrifices herself. But um, yeah, so it, I think the only other thing I don't know if I have anything to say about this, but um, I'm aware she's an existing IP, so it's it's not a mm. unique thing to this film. But I th also thought the striking thing of having a character, a, a, a Latino character called America, uh, in the movie, and a lot of lines saying "We've got to save America." Um, what was notable um, whether, as I say I'm, I'm I aware, think we're reading too much into this so, um, you know. well I, I, I don't know if I have anything to say about it no. I, guess, I guess it links to a point I wanted to say about I was, was going to come back to Trump yes um, in this sort of post-truth political landscape I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday when I was watching the coverage of, of, of you know the, 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 the ongoing war and stuff about a newfound rhetoric isn't it in, um, in, in propaganda used to be about affirming different political narratives um, so, you know, it used to be about um, this is the way you should see the world, see it this way. And it seems more and more these days, actually, a lot of political propaganda is, at, whether it be from the United States or Russia or from the UK or any other, you know, politically invested party producing it, is about destabilizing other narratives rather than supporting. The point isn't to get you get people to believe your truth. The point is is to get people to, 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 to exist in this post-truth yeah. world where nothing is to be believed. Um, and I wondered how um, the Marvel films might contribute to that kind or contribute or, or dissipate that kind of, of way of thinking. Because we've talked in the past a little bit, but I know you and I have talked a little bit about some of the Spider-Man movies that reveal deep fakes and reveal, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm. I guess this is a generally open question as the movies go on, but I think this movie flags to me a way in which Marvel movies can say, yes, multiple versions of truths can exist and multiple versions of characters can exist. But but at the end of the day, there's right, there's wrong, and then there's and there's and there's 
there's there's a way of telling the difference, you know, mm. or or it can go down the road of hey, look, all characters can mean anything. Doesn't matter. Just enjoy it. Um, and I think whilst these aren't political movies, those two different types of contradictory and clashing aesthetics that are working in this film can potentially augment or add something to our, this 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 murky political landscape we're walking through. Um, mm -hmm. I know that doesn't really link to that first point no, about America, that, no. but I just thought that was also very striking and worth flagging up. No, I think that's really interesting. I think the idea of sort of not presenting your own truth, but existing solely to destabilize, destabilize others and the way that that sort of, there are, I don't know, the, what you said about there are, there are, mul there are multiple, there are multiple truths or there are multiple I'm just thinking about the collision of different star Spider-Man in in, yeah. in the last but and what that what that means what that means symbolically about some of the things that you're saying around I don't know are these films a corrective to sort of say you don't need to destabilize other I don't know I I don't know what to think about it either Well I guess I guess in a way these films completely destabilize any coherent sense of reality mm. but they to me at least this movie doesn't destabilize one sense of ethics in fact, that's that's you were asked to think. Well, I thought quite heavily about lots of ethical questions whilst watching um, this movie, but I I can't tell you how the um, strange dementors play. You know, the, the rules are harder to understand than the ethics, and maybe that's something that is quite affirmative in today's world, where all right, you don't know you it is it's becoming increasingly difficult to access any sense of factual certainty, but that shouldn't stop you looking and it shouldn't stop you having a moral compass about these things. Mm. Um, there are degrees and there are variants and, and there is a difference between villains and supervillains, even if there is villainy in everyone. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. No, I know you're interested in ethics and, and superheroism and different kinds of... And, and I feel like I feel like Eternals and this and yeah. this one, they're starting to do something different with... Or at least ask these questions, posit these questions reflexively. Interestingly enough, you listed the movies earlier that have, you know, what is it, Shang-Chi... Shang-Chi um, and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, Eternals, yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home, and this one. And if I'm right, in terms of commercial performance and descending order, best was Spider-Man, then this, then Shang-Chi, yeah, then and Eternals. Yeah. And I would say it's probably... Um, flip it round the other way in terms of the most interesting to think about in terms of what they ask of audiences in terms of ethics and yeah. and things like that. I think The Eternals is a really interesting movie in that respect, but incredibly clunky in other ways. I think this is an interesting movie, but quite clunky in other ways. And Shang-Chi, I think, is really interesting. Yeah. And I think Spider-Man, I really enjoyed, but it's just an absolute nostalgia fest and um, it's fun if you like those movies. I think um, I probably... There's nothing wrong with that, but I don't no. think it asks... doesn't demand or ask the audience to think about much, I'd, I would argue. I mean, I'd probably throw in of that batch, given that it seems like phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually not cinematic at all, but is extending more so than other phases into television, and, and the phase begins with... WandaVision, or it's, it's supposed... You're supposed to see these television programmes and these episodes as, as, as sort of part of the MCU. I suppose I'd also throw in um yeah, M Moon Knight, I would oh, yeah, say. I've not well, I've not I, I've not seen much of these, but yeah, fine. Well, there is a there is a um podcast Superhero Ethics and they they've recently done an episode on on Moon Knight. Um 
that yeah, kind of exploring. Eth- it's, they say that they want to explore ethical questions from superhero movies and TV shows, sci-fi, and everything else. Um, and they've done a few things, but they've, their recent episode um, a couple of days ago was Moon Knight and Mental Health. Um, but another one, I, th- I, I don't know. There's, there's a Marvel films become more and more interesting. They become less and less. I don't know. This is a very very broad broad statement, but the more interesting they become, the less. Critically, people or the critics tend to go, "Oh, well, we're just bored of this well, now." And it's like, well, there are some interesting, there's some interesting stuff that's happening in some of these movies. I would just say, like, I don't know, as a very, very blanket general statement that will definitely be disproven the more you think about it. Film films that are massive crowd pleasers usually are less interesting to think about four weeks from when they come out um, than films that are actually a little bit sort of in between, mm. in between or disasters and. Triumphs. I really enjoyed Spider-Man. I think, and actually, do you know what? The ending of Spider-Man offers some slightly emotionally engaging stuff about memory and 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 responsibility, which all Spider-Man films engage with. But I, I would say the more interesting movies to think about aren't necessarily the movies that you enjoy the most whilst watching them. When I do, I think you're the same. Right? When I set movies for my students to watch, I rarely pick movies that I I just love. Because yeah. I don't have that a lot to, much to say about movies that I just really want to put on and watch again and again and again. Nor do I set movies that I think are absolute trash. It's movies that are somewhere in between a team that you can get more traction out of discussing. Mm. I suppose the future then it, for um, for this podcast as a, is well, to yeah. do movies that are sort of meh. Yeah, yeah. get your suggestions coming in. <laughs> yeah. No, I was I was thinking about the future of Wanda as a character, if there even is one. And you mentioned about the end of Spider-Man No Way Home, which is obviously yeah. And it, again, it goes back to your, this point of inconsequentiality. It's how much can you invest in the drama? So actually, it's probably a good thing that Wanda doesn't appear again. That well, yeah, would, there's, there's because there's stakes. But as you say, though, she probably will appear in four movies, but it'll be a different Wanda. Yeah. Anyway, so we did quite well without having written any notes or uh, yeah. preparing in the way that we would normally rigorously I mean, prepare. Some people could take that as a compliment, others as a as a massive critique of what we're doing here. But uh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Either way, give us either a way, note. either way, give us a like on uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on, on Spotify. Um, if you felt let down, <laughs> if you no, I tell you what, if you if you felt like we could have gone over something which we only skimmed over and we could have done it in more detail, do you want to talk more about multiverses? Do you want me to talk more about franchises please don't but if you do you know you can get your suggestions in for your footnote episodes you can do that at fan anim research f-a-n-a-n-i-m research at gmail.com as well as you can tag us on twitter uh, same handle and facebook and instagram we'd love to get some in um, we're starting to record a new batch and uh, we've got a few people uh, contributing to the conversation yeah. so we'll, we'd love to hear more from you um, what else can they do Chris they can re-listen to our episodes on WandaVision and read some of the stuff we've written on Marvel uh, well our wonderful contributors have written on yeah. Marvel on our website fancy-animation.org uh, reviews I haven't had a review for a while lots came in thick and fast and then I think because I stopped being bothered to say reviews uh, people aren't writing reviews on Apple if you are on Apple please write reviews really helps us with the visibility um, do it now do it right yeah, now I mean, don't don't wait for a multiverse to uh, there is a multiverse where you've already written one but yeah. it's not this multiverse yeah or listen to this episode yeah. so yeah we've had a few posts from various people I'll just flag up Madeline Hunter's post on Loki blog post on Loki from um, a few months ago which um, yeah it's a really great sort of thinking through the multiverse and iterative storytelling within the Marvel Cinematic Universe Um, and then of course yeah as Alex said podcast episodes that we've done and and various posts here and there from um, scholars who have written about different Marvel 
Marvel films and, and so forth, and digital cats and flurkins and so forth. And oh yeah, we've yeah. got an episode on that. Previous so yeah, archives. Marvel. Marvel's the one we keep coming keep coming back. Oh, to Oh, we'll revisit it, won't we? Well, they keep producing stuff. Um, so, talk about them then. Yeah, but anyway, so I think yeah, there's there's. I th- but I think Madeline's yeah. I'll put it in the suggested reading, but Madeline's post on Loki, cool. I think, is um is a more articulate version of of <laughs> the kinds of multiversal ramblings that we've just done today. So check them out. On the on on the note of multiversal ramblings, we'll we'll um we'll we'll disappear for now, uh, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.